Welcome, listeners. This is your host, Frank Hans, for the Utah Shakespeare Festival's Play On podcast. Today, we're sitting down with our leads from this season's production of Charlie's Aunt, Michael Doherty, Tasso Feldman, and Brendan Marshall Rashid. All three of them are in their first season at the festival. Michael is playing Lord Fancourt Baberly in Charlie's Aunt and Tranio in The Taming of the Shrew. He has performed with other theater companies, such as Milwaukee Repertory Theater, Arden Theater Company, Wilma Theater, People's Light and Theater Company, 1812 Productions, and many more. He has also performed off-Broadway in Dublin by Lamplight at both the 59E59 Theaters and Inishnua Theater Company. Tasso Feldman is playing Charlie Wickham in Charlie's Aunt and the title character in Amadeus. He has performed at numerous theaters around the country, including the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, where he has spent several seasons, Geffen Playhouse, South Coast Rep, Lyric Stage Company of Boston, and Commonwealth Shakespeare Company. Brendan Marshall Rashid is playing Jack Chesney in Charlie's Aunt and Edmund in King Lear. Prior to coming to the festival, he appeared with Chicago Shakespeare Theater, the Goodman Theater, Texas Shakespeare Festival, Steppenwolf Theater, Arkansas Shakespeare Festival, and many more. I'll let the three of you go ahead and introduce yourselves. Tell us your name and, and who you're playing in this show. I'm Brendan Marshall Rashid, and I'm playing Jack. My name is Tasso Feldman, and I play Charlie. I'm Michael Darty, and I'm playing Fanny Babs. Great. Well, it's wonderful to have you with us today. I would love to just start and have you talk just a little bit about Charlie's Aunt. Tell us what this play is about, and who are your characters in it? All right. Well, uh, Charlie's Aunt uh, takes place at St. Old's College at Oxford University. It's about a group of strapping young undergrads who uh, are madly in love and want to perhaps propose this day. And uh, it's about the lengths to which people will go to, you know, secure the one they love. That was a very good answer. Thank you. I would not have done that. What a summation. And it's a comedy. It's a comedy. comedy. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a farce, one might even say. An old British farce. Oh, set in uh, 1894, is it? Yeah, it was written then, 1893. Yeah, it was written in that Yeah. Um, so it's called Charlie's Aunt, and um, I suppose I could speak to this being Charlie. My aunt is supposed to come this morning, and it's great because um, in order to spend time with uh, unmarried women as unmarried men, uh, there needs to be a female chaperone around. So uh, Jack thinks it's a great idea. Since my aunt is coming, we can invite the girls over for some tea or something. And we find out after we've invited them that my aunt's not coming. And, um, and we get Babs to pretend to be my aunt. Yeah, I, 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 as in my character, am going to be playing an old lady in, the, in a college production. And when showing off my... My wardrobe, I get sort of looped into this plot to pretend to be Charlie's aunt. And off we go. Great. Tell us about your character, Brendan. I'm playing Jack, who's... He's the idea man, I guess. He, he sort of sets things in motion. And the play starts with him uh, writing a letter to Kitty, who he is in love with. Uh, and because the term is coming to an end and college is coming to an end, they won't be able to see each other after the school year because she is planning to go to Scotland for the summer, and I'm leaving school as well. So I'm trying to, I'm desperately trying to write this letter to, uh, at some point, propose to her, because this could be the last time I get to see her. 
but then the idea of the ant comes along, and then the idea of turning Babs into the ant comes along, and he's sort of the one that continues to set these new ideas in motion and figure out how to deal with all the problems that arise as they do. So how has it been working on this show so far? It's a, it's a lot of high energy. You get into the theater and it's like you're off to the races. It's been a it's been a heck of a process. Well, I mean, you know, going to do any farce, you know, it's going to require a certain amount of energy, both physical and vocal, that you know isn't required in a lot of pieces. And um, but the first thing that I noticed, the metaphor that I keep using is, you know, if a farce is jumping through hoops, David Ivers on the first day was like, yeah, but the hoops are six feet higher hmm. than you think they are. So we're like, oh wow, that's the style. So it was very clear from day one what he wanted, and also. Therefore, what a challenge that would be. Yeah. So it's been, it's required a lot of ourselves, but it's been one of the funnest rooms I've ever had the pleasure of being a part of. We yeah. laugh a lot. Yeah, I agree. We crack each other a lot, uh, crack each other up a lot. Um, and that was from day one. And it continues to uh, just be a joyous process to uh, just show up every day and sort of go on the ride and, and see sort of what hilarity, you know, happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't do a lot of comedy, so it's been nice to be in the room. There's a lot of laughing, and to be in in the theater with that audience, responding the way they do respond, and with these guys, who are both hilarious. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Although, definitely a struggle as well, to find it, the right, the right level. Yeah. You talked about breaking each other in the rehearsal process. It sounds like that's almost a deliberate tactic at times. <laughs> Is yeah, that, I think he definitely yeah. likes it to happen. I think David yeah. like definitely wants us to have enough fun that that might be a possibility. Yes, yeah. and and it's like it's like something that's always like lingering in the back of your mind because because when people break on stage, it means that new things are happening and that it's still exciting. It's still like sort of crackling in that in that same sort of exploratory way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, having that that sort of openness to that is sort of part of it yeah there's an element of mischief in that yeah. you know yeah. get someone to it's like you get someone it's like i gotcha <laughs> i got you to break yeah um and that's an element of farce and it certainly keeps you keeps things fresh right it never becomes rote you always find a way to what can i do differently this time that will throw them off let's see if i could derail the whole thing <laughs> yeah but in doing so it also seems like it adds it can add to as well and you discover things that if you were just playing the what's on the page trying to do the same thing you did last time you not you might not be finding the same sorts of things yeah cuz it's all for the audience so it's like the more we can give to them and the more we the more we have fun with each other the more fun the audience has. So that's like, that's part of the gift giving, I think. Mm-hmm. On, the, on the opposite side of that, uh, farce requires very, um, it requires discipline. Mm. So you set the structure and you trust what you've built. And within that framework, you are free. But you have to trust that we built this thing sort of with, um, how do I say it? Um, well, I don't know. This is sort of dead air on <laughs> Like an old oak table. Yeah, you know. Yes, like an old oak table. Um, yeah, you need. it requires great discipline, and, and, and you have to trust the structure. And this certainly is, like, the, the way we build it is highly structured. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. We know where we're moving at every yeah. second of this play. Yeah. In, in a way, you know, sometimes you could, you could block a piece and be running it, and it's like, huh, this is... 
I, I've got kind of a, a little bit of leeway here. I can. I think I'll try this today. Yeah, yeah. I, I wander in this part of the stage, but here, it's like it's like a, a roller coaster track, mm -hmm. pretty much with where with where our positions are. So what does that, David? When David Ivers was in here a few weeks ago, he was talking about kind of the mathematics of doing a show like this, and and speaks really to the discipline. What does that look like in the rehearsal process then? A lot of repetition. A lot. Mm. It's like you're doing the equation and you get a, the wrong answer and you do it again, get the wrong answer, you do it again, get the wrong answer, and then finally get the right answer. And then you rehearsals over and you go, God, I, I hope I remember that next time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But well, it's a lot of repetition and then and then there's a you feel it when it's right. And in that repetition, a lot of frustration. A lot of like pulling your hair out, like, oh man, that's not working, that's not working. That doesn't feel funny at all. You know what I mean? Right. And finally finally this flow starts to work out. Like with the bag stuff and the dress mm -hmm. stuff, and you know, um, and sometimes it's a it's a technical thing like oh I need to look here or move here or say this line on this beat, right? Um, and sometimes it's just something that relaxes over time, and then suddenly the bit starts to work. Totally, yeah. you know, it's it's yeah. You could scrutinize for a while and then never know when you'll find the answer. The the other element um, in a play like this, we have a lot of people on stage, and focus shifts constantly from part of the stage to a different part of the stage with different people. Um, if you move on someone else's line, you might be, you might as the character feel motivated to move, but technically if you move on that line, the audience's eye goes away from where it's supposed to be to you to the other stage. And then that joke doesn't land because the move, the audience has already sort of, you know, moved on. So there's the math of that, which David is, you know, excellent at yeah. uh, being able to, you know, choreograph that and coordinate that. Mm -hmm. um, he's got an excellent eye for that. So that's part of the math, too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also, I mean, David has worked on a lot of comedy in the last couple of years and I think has, um, you know, perfecting the, the craft of directing farce and certainly is a wonderful comedic actor as well. I imagine that every actor probably has a different answer for this but you were all talking about when it was when it works and when it doesn't work what what do you what are the cues that you look for in the rehearsal room before you have an audience which i hope we can talk about in a minute but before you have that audience what what are for you the signals that today i did i, I did it right or i got to a place in this moment or this beat or this bit where it it feels like it's working now you hear people laughing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully there are enough people in the room. Yeah, yeah. Someone there's will a, laugh. There's uh -huh. a decent group. Yeah. And like we, we've had a warm enough room that wealth that invites that kind of thing. Uh, if understudies swing by, you'll have, yeah, a, a chance at a response. That's helpful. Totally. Though. And I mean, there are enough bits in this that just physically don't work. So you can feel them not working. You know what I mean? You're like, right. oh, we didn't get that right. We haven't mm -hmm. done that yet. Um, and clearly David, obviously, responding to it or saying that's how it needs to be. But... I don't know if there's a specific thing I look for as far as like what I, what I feel, yeah. when, when it's like about working those physical bits, those physical moments. Yeah. You can usually feel it when it finally does. Like even if it's not, even if there's not people around to laugh, like it's there's something about feeling. It's like a feeling the it's rhythm. It's like a of song. It. Yeah. yeah, it's like yeah. it's like get nailing that rhythm. Yeah. So the show just opened this past weekend. You've had some audiences now. How has it grown from the time that you were in the rehearsal room through tech and now in, a, in previews and opening with audiences? It hasn't at all. <laughs> it's just the same as it was in rehearsal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, 
we normally you get more previews than we've had to because with the comedy it's all about that relationship with the audience and timing to the new laughs and you know laughs in a rehearsal room and laughs on stage can be very different there are things that are known as rehearsal funny that you know just don't work when you when you bring it into a big space and you're like this was so funny yeah. in the rehearsal room how does it not work we haven't had a ton of that with Charlie's, no, to be no. honest. Not even um, that. And then also there's the laughs that you get because people know each other, which you right. don't get in the, in the yes. Um So yeah, it's just, it's just finding the new timing once we're placed in front of the crowd. We've had uh, you know, small audiences, invited audiences from the company for our two dress rehearsals, and then we've had three um, full audiences, two, two previews and one opening. And that's enough for me to gauge... Um, I'm sure there are going to be different uh, responses along the way, but you get a, enough of a variety of responses where you can sort of gauge um, what the what the average is going to be in terms of the response. Like we had one audience that was they were so ready to laugh they were they were laughing at everything uh, early on, and then you know they sort of got tired halfway through and they were laughing less uh, we had another audience that was really listening at the beginning of the play and we weren't getting the laughs we had been getting and I thought I, they hated me and then act two rolls around and they are howling and hmm. you realize they they were just listening they're they're listening for the plot they want to get the story and then there's a beautiful payoff and halfway through act two and they burst into applause and they did at the moment uh, I don't want to give it a, I want to say when, but uh, that uh, was a signal to me that was the proof that they had been listening in the beginning of the play because that applause came as the payoff uh, to a character getting what he wants in the play. So, I don't know. I don't know yeah. what I just said. <laughs> I liked it. Um, without giving too much away, what are some of your favorite moments in this show that for you when you're on stage are the things you enjoy most? Oh, man. Well, I can say from an outsider, uh, an outsider perspective, uh, getting to watch your cleanup, Lotsie, there's this excellent moment in Act 1 where the boys have to get ready for the girls to come. And they clean their room in a very short amount of time. And it's... Extremely short amount of time. Extremely <laughs> short amount of time. And yeah. it's just these two fellas running around... Uh, throwing things at each other. Like, if I were a part of that scene, I would surely die. Like, I would, uh, a cricket ball would hit me in the head and I would, I'd be rendered unconscious. It's really thrilling to watch. And, and that such, would be really funny, though, yeah. too. That would also be funny. Um, but it's, it's actually an added bit that David put in, and it's so in the spirit of the play, and it's very, it's super enjoyable. I love it. One of my favorite moments is um, uh, ba uh, Bab showing off his athletic ability. <laughs> uh, and that's all I'll say about that. I mean, it was, uh, it was fun when we found that in rehearsal, and it just continues to just be such a joyous moment for me. That's is that is that a moment where the character intersects with the the person playing the character? Heavily, yes. heavily. Um, you know, it's funny. Someone someone asked me about that moment the other day and asked how it came about in rehearsal, and I said I don't even remember. I don't remember. Like, either. and that's kind of the amazing thing about a process like this is that like we're all just spitballing and like pitching in ideas, and yeah, it's it's really cool how how you can forget. Mm -hmm. I think one of the. Uh... The first time we get to try to convince him to stay 
you know, is one of my favorite moments. Just the the play between the three of us. Mm-hmm. It's not like the most hysterical moment happening, but I just I don't know. There's something about it that I really like. Yeah. The trying to convince him and the playfulness, the friendship between them. You know what I mean? Because it's it's what has been. It's like before we're thrust into this very new yeah. situation. Yeah. It's like the relationship of the boys. And yeah. It's, totally. Yeah. You get like 15 minutes of it. Yeah. And then there's the scene with. Uh, where I'm actually just observing on stage my father and Bab, the character Bab's playing Charlie's aunt. I don't know how much we want to give away, but my father is trying to propose to Bab's, thinking it's Charlie's aunt. And when I'm up there watching, it, it feels like every other line, the audience is hysterically laughing. Like, they can't move the scene because there's so much laughter. It's very funny. Uh, favorite moment of mine watching uh, is in Act Three, when um, Babs, as uh, dressed up as Charlie's aunt, is with all the ladies in the play, and they're all listening to a story being told by this woman. And uh, he he's a uh, he's next to the girl who um, he's in love with. Uh, who you know, it's a comedy, it's a farce, and you know love wins the day and so you know she's here we're all gonna sort of get what we want at the end of the play but he is so close to her and yet he it's so unattainable you know what is the word unattainable Unattainable, because he is you know disguised as charlie's aunt and yet that tension um is uh physicalized in a very funny way um Mm -hmm. It's a hard play to talk about without yeah. revealing lots of things right, along right, the right. way. Right, right, right. Because it's all about the, it's all twists. It's one yeah. twist after. Yeah. Time. Well, I maybe we can talk broadly about this. It's a play that's you know now what like 120, 130 years old, yeah. um, and it's it's endured forever. Um, my grandfather played char- played Fanny wow. in like 1925 or something. <laughs> And, um, and, you know, it's been done through many waves of American theater. Why do you think this play endures? Aside, I mean, it's funny, right? That's the easy answer, but, but why this one? It's, well, I mean, it is, well, first of all, it is that funny and it's sort of timelessly funny. Like, it's crazy how hilarious it remains today. Uh, that that surprised me, in fact, uh, of just how funny it plays. And it's also a well-structured piece. You know, it's like, even if it wasn't as funny as it is, it's it's just good old-fashioned storytelling. And as our director, David Ivers, has said a few times, not a lot of plays get written with this much thought and clarity and, and careful construction of unfurling of events. You know? Mm-hmm. These epic, like, it's a three-hour comedy which is, uh, you never see anymore. And it's because it was very intricately built. Well, all the comedy, you know, all the great uh, writers who write comedy have gone to television. You know, most of them, right? You can imagine. I mean, it's more lucrative, certainly, and you get great sitcoms and all that. So, but back in the day, right, when this was being written, uh, you know, theater was the medium. So uh, that's why there aren't as many today. And that's why when I think theater producers go, all right, we need a big comedy they look to contemporary comedies and they go, hmm, there are not a lot here. So we keep going to previous eras looking for those comedies. And so uh, I think that is a reason that has contributed to 
Charlie's aunt enduring over the years. Um, but then the piece itself, like Michael says, is so well structured in its writing that um, uh, once you uh, understand that and you you, uh, you trust it and play the structure of the piece, it it really, it, you know, it works today. Even though you go 1892, the the social conventions are different, and yet you know we're watching Downton Abbey, you know, right. upstairs downstairs. That's then, and yet it's you know a very popular TV show. So. Um, I don't know. I think, you know, we still do ancient, we just still do Shakespeare. You know, it's yeah. 450 years old. So, I don't know. Right. And, and thinking to these newer comedies that get written today, it's hard to find ones that have language that's okay for general audiences to hear and that aren't, you know, a lot of, a lot of new comedies can be very shocking and very vulgar. And, uh, yeah, to find one that is as clean. I mean, Charlie's not sort of flirts with it, you know? It, it'll make you feel like you're getting away with watching something. I wonder if that's part of it, too, is that it, is it walks right up to the line of being dirty. And that's and there's something maybe titillating about that or something. Yeah. It's like I remember reading something a couple of years ago about the movie Clue, which is one of my all-time favorite oh, comedies. Sure. And Michael McKean talks about how... It's what makes it great is it's perfect for 13-year-olds. Yeah. That sensibility and sense of humor of just flirting with those things that you don't quite know about yet, um, that, that aren't quite adult, but are enough there that you sort of know where it's going. And it seems like these characters are sort of at that point in their life maybe where that's yeah, they're about, part, of, part of what's going yeah, on. the maturity of 13-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> with the ambition of right. adults wanting to get wed, you know, because yeah. like yeah. that's what all you did back then. Yeah. yeah, College gents will do anything, as um, Brass had said yeah. in the play. It's also, um, I don't know, as you guys are talking, it makes me think about how in the first 10 minutes of the play, it, you can pretty much figure out how it's going to end. And so maybe <laughs> part of the excitement of it is just seeing how it unfolds. And it's even maybe more fun because it's so predictable in right. its ending. If you sure. didn't know it was going to happen, it you'd be thinking about that the whole right. way. But instead, you're able to really live in the moment of the comedy totally. that takes you along this path. That... And it introduces lots of hurdles along the way. Just when you think everything's sailing along, yeah. new character, new obstacle. Yeah. Oh, no! That's <laughs> right. jumped over. And then there's a bigger one waiting. So it's like lots of little victories, lots of little panic attacks mm -hmm. throughout. That's the fun. Yeah, and I mean... Uh, my character says, I mean, it's not it's not very subtle. He goes, in terms of introducing obstacles, he goes, oh, but there's one obstacle, you know, a minus, but there's one <laughs> <Right>. obstacle <laughs> to my doing that much as I'd like to. And you go, well, what's the obstacle? It's sort of, you know, yeah. uh, it just lays it all out there for you. And uh, so you just have to sort of read, find it on the page. And you go, look, it says there's an obstacle. So, you know, play that. Um, and uh, I think the, ex the audience's experience is certainly... Uh, going off of what you say, you sort of know where it's going to go, and then you, 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 uh, you can relax. You kind of go, I know this is going to turn out okay. I don't have to worry. So I could just go on this ride and mm -hmm. see everything. See, see that little cart on the um, roller coaster ride almost, you know, go flying off, and yeah. crashing, and yet it won't because I, I know that they're going to sort of all arrive safely where they want to, and, and it's just a joyous ride. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think obviously everything there, and I think also which helps is that it's there's just and what David has expressed that it needs to have is so much optimism. Is these mm. these young men who are in love and desperately want this, you know, desperately want to get this off of their chest, um, 
And people, I think, are drawn to that, you know. It's always like, how can we make this work, this beautiful thing that we want, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. It's like the beginning days of, like, when you have a, it's, well, you know, it's like when you have a, when you have a crush on someone, the be, like, just the beginning, you just, and it's just so exciting. Mm-hmm. All you think about is that. And that's all you want to do is sort of focus on that crush. And that's where these guys all are. Um, and that's, it's not just these guys. It's, you know, it's the girls, too, who have crushes on us. Mm-hmm. And and then the older generation in the play, too, uh, gets swept up in this, you know, it's, you know, it's like the end of, it's the end of spring term. It's about summer. It's Love is in the air. Exactly. Yeah. So even the older generation gets swept up in that. And... Mm-hmm. You know, everyone everyone goes after it um, with uh, some surprising and and really funny, you know, <laughs> results, um, all the way to the you know the last couple lines of the play, and and, and the fact that like the stakes can be like, gosh, I just want to hold her hand, <laughs> like yeah. the fact that that's the thing that we pine for is just it's kind of beautiful. You don't that's, that doesn't exist mm-hmm. anymore. I would love for each of you to talk a little bit about how you got trained. What what experiences I guess have most contributed to your to your doing this show and to feeling like you're able to go out there and make people laugh on a daily basis? Well, I have the easy job kind of in this show in a way uh, that I'm the straight man, so I I don't feel like I actually have a lot of comic training. Um, I shouldn't say it's the easy job. It's not easy at all. Uh, but for, for this, yeah. for this <laughs> but for this show, it's a little easier than than some. Um, and I don't. I feel like I don't have to worry that as much about the comedy. I have to play it honestly and straight, you know. Um, and I haven't actually done a lot of comedy, so it was, it's. And that's why this process has been slightly interesting for me, finding that that part of myself and the energy that is necessary. To bring the story to the audience, I, you know, I, I was constantly playing it too naturalistically. I think, you know, I'm used to doing that. Um, so, but I've done, I, you know, I did a few comedies over the last like few years, and just remembering what that was like. You know, it's been a, it's been a long span, but like remembering what it feels like to have that in your body, and continuing to have David let me know, you know, like this it needs to be bigger than that. You know, this is being played too naturalistically. You know, just thinking about the timing and everything. But training-wise, I don't know if there's anything specific, yeah. I mean, the thing that they say about, I'm going to paraphrase this terribly, but um, comedy is like a tragedy, but you're going 100 miles an hour. Yeah. Mm. And, and maybe you wear a funny hat, too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, so, so the stakes are uh, huge. Um, and the investment you have is, you have to magnify it. So I won't say bigger than life, because... We're all still alive on stage. No one is like going, no one is, you know, breaking away from life. And yet it's, you might say, oh, that's bigger than how, you know, civilized people behave around a dining room table. But, you know, that's not why you come to see this play. You come to see people behave in extreme ways around a dining room table at times. Uh, I don't know if that's not really answering your question. And you asked a question about training and sort of experience. Um... Well, you watch a lot of you watch a lot of stuff that makes you laugh, and you develop your sort of sense of humor. Um, Who for you are those inspirations? Uh, 
Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, that physical comedy, uh, you know, those great silent comedies and just watching how people, Buster Keaton, uh, you know, that's enough for me. Uh, and then, you know, moving into uh, uh, talking, right? Um, you know, great comedians, you know, um, uh, you know, George Carlin, Lenny Bruce, you know, contemporary ones, Louis C.K. And, and, uh, but also, you know, shows like Laughing. Who's the guy that I'm just absolutely obsessed with? Al- Is it Albert Brooks? I should Possibly, this. yeah. The guy, he like always played this drunk character on like the Dean Martin show. I'm totally well, getting this Albert wrong. Brooks, but... <laughs> He's incredible. How about we bounce it to Mike and you can look it up Thank and we'll you. come back to you. Um, and we, we talked a little bit about comic inspirations for you, yeah, but we're, I guess my question for you would be like, where did you learn your funny? Well, you know, well, you know, to, to tie it to what Tasso said, I mean, you know, my, uh, my training at, at college was just acting based training, but yeah, when you, when you get to comedy, it's, the exact same principles as in a drama, but just everything is life and death. And there, no one plays everything at life and death stakes, but that's that's what you have to do. Um, I don't know. I've, I've tended to be one of those people who's always who always reacts a little bit bigger to things, who always talks a little bit louder than other people. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not super self-aware all the time. Um, and that's totally necessary, I think. Yeah. That, that helps a lot. You know, and, and like, so my instincts are usually larger than most people's normal instincts. And I think I think that does lend itself to, to, I like to think that it makes me capable of both, but it's led to comedy. Also, I write comedy, so I'm, I'm very fascinated by comedy. I, I write a lot of sketch, so I'm, I'm fascinated by timing. Uh, words chosen to make a joke funnier and you know there's like we were saying there's so much to the science of it and the math of it that's that's so fast it's endlessly fascinating and 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 and, uh, it's a bottomless pit of wonder it's like you'll you'll never figure it out you know it's always a practice i i love it i love and i think i think it takes a certain amount of fearlessness too a, a, a kind of like i don't care how stupid i'm going to look I'm going to try this, you know what I mean? And Michael definitely has that. And he has that in life, too, and I think it's great. Like, just hanging out with him, you can see that he's like, I'm going to do whatever the hell, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to make it make you laugh in every moment. I grew up uh, uh, in high school. I had lots of friends who were um, a lot wittier than I, a lot funnier. And uh, I would always try to keep up with them and try to make jokes and be funny and and they, they would always remind me how unfunny I was, <laughs> you know? Oh, so I, I tried a lot and failed a lot early on. Sure. And then, um, you know, I, uh, I think that was, a, you know, the desire to be funny, you know? And, uh, and uh, for some people it works and some people it doesn't work and that's even funnier because they, they, they fail and failure is funny. Um, <laughs> but it's also, you know, it's tied to this desire to play. Like if you enjoy mm-hmm. playing as a kid, it's sort of that. It's not really complicated. Um, I think, you know, you can't, you know, you, you can't, uh, yeah, it, t- it takes great thinking to sort of structure it, but once you're in it, there's no thinking. You can't think. You can't calculate because um, comedy happens that it sort of surprises you. And if you're calculating and the audience gets ahead of you, they go, no, I saw that coming. That wasn't funny. I'm not surprised. I found out who I was talking about, Albert Brooks. 
no, Foster Brooks. I said Albert Brooks, who's great. But Foster Brooks is this guy who um, just played this drunk character who, I mean, on the Dean Martin show, it is, I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> and then, of course, for this show and, like, other other farce uh, that I've done, um, uh, you know, um, John Cleese in Faulty Towers. I mean, you watch him and you go, that's not human behavior. But it is. And you, he's so just, you think his head's going to explode. And it's just funny. You know, there's something about that. There's also something about, like, finding your own personal funny. And it's like, what is the thing that makes you funny? Like, you as a person. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time, it's like, what embarrasses you? You know, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, like, if you used to be really awkward around women, you know, because you remained used virginal to for too long. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, that's something to draw from. And it's like, I'm willing to embarrass myself again in front of people. Mm -hmm. You know, and like relive all those awkward moments because so much of comedy is the awkward. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, willing to put yourself out there for to, to make someone else laugh. And it's okay if they laugh at you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, right. you're like, I'm okay with that. I like you laughing. That's it. You could laugh at me. Um, just, you know, just don't be mean. <laughs> so, last question here for you. Um, if you had to give like the 10 second elevator pitch about why people should come to see Charlie's aunt, what would you, what would you tell them? I think we just answered it. Yeah. <laughs> convinced? Yeah, are you convinced? Um, it's really funny. It's so funny. And it's so it's so solid all around. I feel like there's no weak link in it yeah. at all. Or any even or even any moment. Um, and the actors in it for me, I, I'm still I'm still shocked. <laughs> Every time I watch it a new scene, I'm like, this is so funny. Everyone is so good and these two of course and michael of course is the funniest person i've probably ever been on stage with so definitely people should come see it it's funny it's sweet it's a stellar cast it's three hours of pure delightful sweet fun um and you could bring the whole family um how about that that's pretty yeah that's true right yeah, totally did that come in under 10 seconds yes <laughs> thank you yeah yeah a lot of heart you'll laugh your butt off uh, crazy talented folks, crazy talented design team, and mm -hmm. yeah, and a and a heck of a director who yeah. who fearlessly led us to uh, to a pretty satisfying product, I think. Yeah, definitely. Great. Well, thanks a lot, guys, for coming in today. My pleasure. Talking. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thank you for catching another episode of the Play On Podcast. Be sure to go back and listen to past interviews on the festival webpage. Check out the latest episode released every Friday with your favorite directors, actors, and designers from our 2015 season.